Good morning. Is it a good morning? Okay, just one, okay, maybe, we'll, we'll see, right, we'll see. Uh, we'll welcome you either way, glad you're here. Uh, if you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. Um, our expectation, as we just sang, is that God would speak to us today. There are two primary ways that God speaks to his people. One is through his word, and one is through his Holy Spirit. And we're going to be talking about both today. And so here's the good news. As we sing to God, I don't want to miss one word that you would speak or that you would say. God's heart is that we wouldn't miss one word either. And so as we step into a time, we open God's word together, the first Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I just want to continue the theme of that song into the opening of God's word that each of us truly would, would step into this time ready to hear, ready to hear from God through his words um, God, through his word and through his spirit as he speaks to us. Now, um, what we're going to be talking about today, we're continuing the All In Serving series. And so today we're going to be talking about being gifted to serve. And um, when we hear the idea of being gifted, a lot of us think about like being talented. That's where our minds gravitate towards. We think about people in the world who are gifted. Um, and at our house, we've been watching a lot of documentaries lately. And so uh, typically to make a documentary about somebody's life, that person is extraordinary or gifted. And so I uh, watched one on Jim Belushi, the gifted comedian and actor. We watched a, a documentary on Whitney Houston, the gifted singer, and, and watched one on Kobe Bryant, the gifted basketball player. And, and that's what we typically think about when we think about people who are gifted and, and talented. Okay, well, that's different from how we mean gifted in the church. Because in the world today, you think somebody like Kobe Bryant, who was arguably one of the best basketball players ever, at least the top four, uh, I would still hold uh, Michael Jordan above him. But anyway, gifted basketball player, 20 years in the NBA, same team, had 18 uh, All-Stars appearances, 15 All-Star starts, five championships, two championship MVPs, scored 81 points in one game second only to Wilt Chamberlain, like an incredible athlete, right? And so we think about people like that and we think about our role is to sit in the stands, cheer him or cheer the athletes on, cheer the famous people on and just be recipients of their talent. Well, the problem is when we begin to apply that to the church, that's not how God has designed the church to work. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're gonna get into how God has designed the church to work and specifically your role in it and how it's different from the world outside the church. Starting in verse one of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. A pretty simple statement. The topic that he's going to be discussing, spiritual gifts. Who is he speaking to? Brothers and sisters in the faith. So he's talking to Christians. And what's his goal? That you and I would not be uninformed, which means what? There's a chance that we may be uninformed on some level. As Paul writes this to the church, to Christians, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting them to learn. He's wanting them to, to hear uh, God's wisdom for the church. He's wanting them to understand and to apply God's wisdom to how they function and operate as the body of Christ. And so he starts in verse two and three with, at an interesting place. Verse two says, now you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says 
Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I think it's important that Paul starts here because evidently some of the same struggles we have in the church today were going on in the church in the first century. At what point is the Holy Spirit involved in a believer's life? And so Paul starts here. He says, hey, remember when you guys weren't Christians? You know how you just followed these mute idols and wherever they led you, you just chased after the things of the world? Okay, well, well here's, the, here's my point. Nobody who says Jesus is cursed. In other words, nobody who rejects Christ is operating in the spirit. Well, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? But his main point is the next statement, in the same way, no one says Jesus is Lord unless he is what? In the Holy Spirit. Well, that's interesting because there are a lot of debates and different views on the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, when the Holy Spirit becomes active in a believer's life, different views on the gifts of the Spirit, how that works. There are some who would say they have kind of a, 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 what's called a cessational view of the Holy Spirit, the, the idea that the Holy Spirit in the way that the Holy Spirit gifts believers has ceased, doesn't do it anymore. There are those who believe the Holy Spirit continues to gift believers. There are some who believe the Holy Spirit uh, begins to work in a believer's life at the, at the moment of salvation or even before salvation. There are some who would say, no, 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 it's down the road at some point when a person's baptized in the Spirit that they receive the Holy Spirit of God. So our interest today is, as God says, as God speaks through Paul, is I don't want you to be uninformed. We want to be informed. We want to learn. We want to know what does God's word say about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit of God works in the lives of believers and to what end? And so right off the bat, Paul says this. He connects the Holy Spirit's work in your life with the moment of your salvation. Your confession that Jesus is Lord requires the work of the Holy Spirit. That's so important. You did not save yourself. You weren't fumbling through life thinking, you know what, I'm gonna give Christianity a shot. Let me just try this whole Jesus is Lord thing and just see how it goes. You know what, I kinda like it, I think I'll stay. Paul's gonna say, no, 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 no. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to open your eyes and draw you to Christ. Nobody says Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is working in their life. Matter of fact, Paul will say, without the Holy Spirit, the gospel, it's a stumbling block. You're gonna trip over it. It's gonna be an obstacle in life. The fact that you can stand and say, I am a Christian, Jesus is Lord, is evidence that you are in the Holy Spirit. Now we go to the book of Ephesians chapter one. And explicitly, Paul talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, what word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, he's referring back to that moment where you heard the gospel and you said, that is true, and you believed in him, at that moment, what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is the idea of being sealed like by a signet ring. Somebody of authority seals something. And unless you have authority, you can't open it. You can't undo it. And what God is saying is that at the moment of your salvation, when you heard the gospel and believed in him, God sealed you with his Holy Spirit. 
So not only is the Holy Spirit involved in drawing you to God, God's saving you, God seals you at the moment of salvation with the Holy Spirit. We go to the book of Titus, chapter uh, three, verse five, and listen to how uh, Paul describes the work of the Holy Spirit. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So this idea of renewal and regeneration, it's the idea that when, when you step by faith into Christ, right, it's like um, the old you is now buried and now you've been raised to walk in this new spiritual life. You stepped into your faith in Christ as a sinner and it's, it's at the instant you believe you're no longer a sinner, you're now a saint. Right, that's a big deal. Who does that in you? Who transforms you, regenerates you? It's the Holy Spirit of God working in you, taking you from sinner to saint. When does that happen? According to Paul, when he saved you. The moment that you declared in faith, Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit of God regenerated and renewed you, transformed you, sealed you, when did all this take place? When you believed. Now, so the question would be, okay, is that, is that it? Is this, is this so I have the Holy Spirit working in my life? Is that it or is there more to come? Is there such a thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit or having more of the Holy Spirit, more access to the Holy Spirit, experiencing more power from the Holy Spirit? And so I just continue reading in the book of Ephesians. There are a couple of prayers that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians, and it's interesting what Paul prays for, for the church in Ephesus. Uh, the first one's in chapter one. I want you to listen for what Paul's asking God to do in the hearts of Christians who have already been saved, already been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is starting in verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Well, what's he praying for? that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I thought we already had the spirit and Paul's praying for what more of the spirit. God would grant you the spirit of knowledge and revelation. Having, verse 18, the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So evidently, if we look at the way Paul's praying, as a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit. There is still more knowledge to be gained in the Spirit, still more to learn. There's still a, this idea that my eyes can even be more open to the things of God. If you fast forward two more chapters, Ephesians 3, Paul's praying again. Listen to what Paul prays for the church. We'll start in Ephesians 3, 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul is on his knees praying for the church from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's praying for people who already have the Holy Spirit in their inner being to be strengthened by that spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's interesting. He's praying that they would have what they already have. And the words that are being used here seems that it's the idea of increasing measure. You have a knowledge of Christ or you wouldn't be saved. But he's praying that that would increase. You have a, you have a revelation, you have an understanding of who God is, but he's praying that that would increase by what power? The power of the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of his prayer, he says, not only to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So this idea that I'm in Christ, I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, working within me, renewing me, and yet I'm growing in knowledge and revelation. It's this idea of being filled with the Spirit. It's taking what I already know and what I already have and expanding it, increasing in measure what is already mine in Christ, what is already yours in Christ. So that's different from the idea that I got saved at vacation Bible school, and then 20 years later, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like, no, if the Holy Spirit wasn't involved, you weren't saved. And that's what he's getting at here. Nobody can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, we can grow an increasing measure of our understanding and our knowledge of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So now we begin to move into Paul's teaching here. He's gonna apply all this to, um, he's gonna apply all this to the teaching on spiritual gifts. So we back up for a minute. I wanna, I wanna just give you a litmus test. I get asked this somewhat frequently. How do I know it's the Holy Spirit? I had this nudging or this voice inside my head or I heard this prompting. How do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Uh, if I'm thinking about my spiritual gifts, how do I know the difference between my talents, what I'm good at, versus what I'm supernaturally gifted to do? So in the Gospel of John, we haven't got to the part yet where Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 16, Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit, and he gives us a litmus test uh, to, to, for us to know whether it's the Holy Spirit or not. Listen to Jesus' teaching. This is chapter 16 of John. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's a good litmus test. Who does the Holy Spirit glorify? Christ. Is the Holy Spirit working in a gifting or is this your natural talent? I don't know. Who's being glorified here? Who's being lifted up? Right? That's the difference here. How do we know that the Holy Spirit's speaking to me or nudging me or directing my life? The question, the first question to ask is, is the Holy Spirit being, or is Christ being glorified? Because Christ says, listen, when the Spirit of truth comes, He's gonna bring truth, he's gonna speak what he hears, and here's how you'll know it's the Holy Spirit of God. He glorifies me. I've been involved in a lot of different styles of church and denominations of church, churches with different views on the Holy Spirit. I've been in, involved in churches that would claim to have kind of a handle on the Holy Spirit. And I've been in churches where the Holy Spirit's never mentioned before. Right, so Paul's not, his litmus test is this, is Christ being exalted? Just going to a church that claims to be Holy Spirit-oriented, Holy Spirit-friendly, maybe hyper-charismatic, 
talking about gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit. If Christ is not being exalted, it's not the Holy Spirit. Something else, right? And so at the same time, right, we don't wanna be a part of a church that's never talking about the Holy Spirit, never teaching about the movement of the Holy Spirit, never helping us understand the way the Holy Spirit works in our life. But listen, the baseline litmus test, is Christ exalted? Now listen, that's true of your life as well, not just the church. How do we know if, if you're operating in your talents, your abilities, or you're operating in the supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit? The first question is, who is being exalted? Are you being exalted? That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. All of our spiritual gifts should be this, this bullhorn declaration, right? Declaring the goodness of Christ. When you see the spiritual gifts of another Christian, it should turn your worship to Christ. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the spirit. Now, what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna connect our spiritual gifts to the church. Verse four, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, there are a variety of, varieties of service, talking about in the church, but the same Lord, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, the main thrust of this chapter and this teaching on spiritual gifts, that spiritual gifts are given to Christians to serve the church. And we're gonna come back next week and really land on that. But your spiritual gifts are not given to you to go out into the world and make yourself wealthy or famous. It's not why you've been given gifts from the Holy Spirit. Your gifts have been are intimately connected to what God's doing in the local church of which you are a part of. So if you're here in Solid Rock as your church home, your spiritual gifts are specific for this church. Okay, are you with me? If God leads you and your family somewhere else, the gifts he gives you or the gift he gives you will be connected to how he is calling you to get involved in that church. Are you with me? It's not about you. This idea of being spiritual gifted, it's not about making much of you. There's no guarantee that if you have a gift from God, you're always gonna have that gift. They can change depending on where God needs you in the body. And so Paul connects our spiritual gifts to serving in the church. And then verse seven, which is really the main thrust of where we're going today, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And we're gonna focus on the first two thirds of that verse. The, the latter part for the common good is next week. So what Paul has said in the first part of this verse is first of all, to each is given. To each what? Each person who has said, Jesus is Lord. Each Christian, each person who formerly was a sinner and now is a saint by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit to each Christian is given something. So if you're a Christian here today, you are included in verse seven, to each. As I look out at this room of, of Christians, to each, each one of you, right? Not, it's not the idea of like the NBA where we've got a few all-stars who play on the court and the rest of us cheer them on from the stand. No, each one of you is an all-star. Each one of you has a special gift that's, that's amazing. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit. I wanna focus on those words for a minute. So the manifestation, it's the idea of expressing uh, outwardly an inner reality. So something inwardly being made visible, being made known outwardly. Because 
the work of the Holy Spirit oftentimes works in ways that are hard to see. Like in your heart, the Holy Spirit's working right now. I believe it. And more than likely, the Holy Spirit is working in ways that you're unaware of. Behind the scenes, under the surface. The, the Bible will describe the Holy Spirit of God moving like the wind. It's hard to see. You can just see the results or the effects of the wind. So too is the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So how is the Holy Spirit made visible out of our lives? One of the ways the Holy Spirit is made visible in your life is through your spiritual gifts. That's the manifestation of the Spirit. So think about that. Apply that also to Christ. Are you in Christ? How will people know that you are in Christ? One of the ways, not the only, one of the ways is when you're operating and serving in your spiritual gifting. A supernatural gift from God working in your life. That's one of the ways the Holy Spirit is manifested. It's made known to the world. And you think about that. Think about what you want to be known for and what we want to be known for as a church. Surely, we want people who visit Solid Rock Church to walk into this place and to walk right into the presence of Christ. Like, for whatever ways they would describe us as a church, one of the ways they would describe us is, like, I, I ran into Jesus there. Okay, that's not gonna happen just by having a Jesus pep rally every Sunday. There are specific ways that Jesus will make himself known through his people. One of the ways is by the way we love one another. Another way, according to this passage, is he will be made known, how? By the way we serve in our spiritual giftings. It's one of the ways that Christ will be made visible, made known to the world. So now from here, verse eight, Paul's gonna give some examples of different spiritual gifts. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? So don't read this list and go, well, that's it. If it's not on the list, it's not a spiritual gift. We'll get to that next week. But I don't want you to miss the main thrust of what we're about to read. So let's start in verse eight. For to one, one what? One Christian, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. I want to stop here because already a couple things have come out. First of all, what are spiritual gifts? They are supernatural things that individual Christians are good at. Okay, and that's probably a very elementary way to say it, but it's something about you that God has gifted you with that when you do whatever it is, supernatural things happen. The second thing is you're gonna notice already that some of the things that we are gifted with are things that we're all called to, whether you have the gift or not. So I'll give you an example. Evangelism. Evangelism is listed in one place as a gift of the Holy Spirit. That means there are some people in the church who are supernaturally gifted with evangelism that when they share the gospel with people, these amazing supernatural things happen on a consistent basis. Does that mean the rest of us are off the hook? We're all called to share the gospel. We're all called to evangelism and there are some people who are supernaturally just incredible at it. Are you with me? Because what just got listed is faith. 
I thought we were all supposed to have faith. Isn't that like a baseline requirement for salvation? Saved by grace through faith? Yeah, absolutely. We are people of faith. We are men and women of faith. Like that is, that is the DNA of our spiritual culture is that we believe and we walk by faith. And yet there are some people in the church who are like supernaturally gifted at it. Have you ever met somebody like that in the church? You're like, gosh, how do they always have so much faith? Well, it was just listed as a spiritual gift. And later on in this chapter, Paul's gonna say, listen, not everybody has all the same gifts. Right? Some people have faith, some have healing, some have this, some have that, some have knowledge, some have wisdom. We'll pick it back up in verse 10. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We don't all have all the gifts. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is the one determining who gets what gift. And let's be honest, only the Holy Spirit knows what gifts are needed for a church to thrive, right? Only the Holy Spirit knows where the, where the deficiencies are, the deficits are, what's missing. If we all had the gift of wisdom, where would our compassion and mercy be? If we all had the gift of compassion and mercy, where would the teaching be? Are you with me? So the Holy Spirit is the one arranging the gifts in the church. Now, I don't think it's wrong or sinful to pray for God to give you a spiritual gift. Just don't be surprised when he doesn't give it to you. Just wanna make that clear. Like the scripture's pretty clear. He's gonna apportion it according to his will, his wisdom, what's needed. Like I've prayed for gifts I don't have. I've shared this with people before. I've prayed for the gift of tongues. I don't have the gift of tongues. I, I wanna understand it. I wanna know what it's like. I wanna understand more fully how it can be part of edifying the church. I know there's a lot of counsel on being cautious with the gift of tongues, but I've prayed for it earnestly. God, I, I pray you would give me the gift of tongues that I might speak in tongues and edify the church. To this day, to this moment, it hasn't happened. So I don't think it's wrong to pray for spiritual gifts, but understand what Paul's saying here. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers and who apportions these gifts according to his will. So the image I get here, Paul's gonna go on to use the metaphor of the human body. And I think it's a fabulous metaphor and we'll talk about that more next week. But I wanna use the idea of a symphony. So think about what it takes for a symphony to be amazing. And you might think, well, it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of practice, rehearsal. Each individual uh, person who plays an instrument needs to become like the best they can be at their skill set, their craft, their instrument. The trombone player needs to be the best trombone player the trombone player can be. The violinist, the flautist, right? Everybody needs to be an expert in their craft and they need to know the piece. Right? You don't just show up on game day and expect to sight read your piece and be a part of this orchestra. For this to be good, everybody needs to be the best they can be at their instrument and they need to know what we're playing ahead of time. But that's still not enough. If that's all the musicians do and they show up for game day and they all take their respected positions, the violinist is gonna go over here by the trombonist who 
you know, is his best buddy. And, hey, let's just hang out over here. And you're going to have somebody trying to play, well, I don't know, the flute over here by the cello. And it's going to be all mixed up and arranged in different ways. It's okay. We're still not, you know, still no, still no chaos. But the moment the song starts, what's going to happen is chaos. It does not matter how well they know their instruments or how well they know the piece. What's missing? The conductor. Somebody to say, start. Somebody to say to the strings, when I get to this part and give you the cue, I want you to start soft and I want it to rise slowly and swell. Somebody to say to the horns, when we get to your measure, I want you to come in strong. For this to work, you've got to come in strong. And, and it takes a conductor, somebody to orchestrate the orchestra. This is what Paul's getting at with the Holy Spirit. I believe here in verse 11, all of these are empowered, orchestrated by one and the same spirit. It's like going to say, hey, I want to be in the, in, the, in the orchestra and I just want to play the violin. The violin, and the conductor's like, well, I've got 12 violins. I need a tuba player. Well, what if we just all play violins? Then you have a violin class, not an orchestra. Somebody has to arrange it. Somebody has to say, strings, I want you over here. Horns over here. You over here. You over here. Somebody's got to have a vision for what's missing. Somebody's got to have an ear for what's lacking. Apply that to the church. That is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives you the gift of teaching. It's because the church needs the gift of teaching. You with me? It's not about you. It's about the edification of the church and the glorification of Christ that when people walk into this place, they would walk into a spiritual symphony of Christ-like serving. The kind of serving that's different from serving in the world. And so when we talk about all-in serving, listen to me, we are not calling you to be a church of busybodies. We don't want you serving on 10 different team ministries, being run ragged. We don't want you on three. Like what we're getting at here, what I believe the word is teaching us is that you have a place in the church to serve. We would rather have you serving on one team ministry, utilizing the gifts that you've been given by your spiritual conductor, the Holy Spirit, serving the church. Like to, what we mean by all in serving is not that you are being run ragged, but that we, 100% of us are serving. Not 10% of us doing 100% of the work, 100% of us doing 100% of the work, all in serving. And here's the difference. When you're serving in your own strength and your own power, you're gonna plug holes. You're gonna fulfill a need today. You're gonna go home feeling important and valuable and you're gonna come back next week worn out, tired, burnout. out. Uh, you, some of you have approached me before. If, if you've approached me with this question, you know my answer. Like, hey, can we do an announcement from the stage and recruit a bunch of new, bunch of new volunteers? Well, my response to that is like, yeah, yeah, yeah we can do that. I can, I can heap up a lot of guilt. You need some nursery workers? Bring me one of those babies up here. Make sure that the baby's asleep and fed and cute. Let me just hold that baby up here. Like, look at this face. Who doesn't want this baby to go to heaven? See, I, I can do the shame and guilt thing. And I, I guarantee you, we can get 30 nursery volunteers today. Problem is, they'll be gone next month if it's not what they're gifted and called to do. 
And so rather than that, you know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have 100% of the members of Solid Rock Church simply serving in the area and the gifting that their spiritual conductor has called them to serve in. How has the Holy Spirit gifted you? Where is he calling you to serve? And listen, there won't be any holes. Unless he's, a, unless he's a lousy conductor, he's not. He's a perfect conductor. You guys see the difference in those pictures? That's what we're praying for for our church. When we talk about all in serving, that's what we mean. Every member serving in his or her gifting and calling according to the orchestration of the Holy Spirit of God. And here's the good thing. Not only will you love life more, (laughs) there'll be more fruit. There'll be more fruit coming out of your individual life serving one place according to your gifting where God's called you than if you were serving in 10 places. Okay, you can either plug holes and be a busybody or you can watch the Holy Spirit of God work through you supernaturally. We don't just want this infant to be babysat. We want something supernatural to happen in this infant's life. We just don't, we don't want our pre-K and kindergartners to be entertained and, 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 and think church is fun. We want supernatural things to happen in their lives. Listen, the same is true of our hospitality. We don't just want good coffee and a friendly smile. We want supernatural things to happen through our hospitality ministry. Do you know hospitality is a spiritual gift? I got another one for you, serving. Anybody can pick up a broom and sweep. Not all of us are good at it. Did you know that supernatural things happen through those who serve with the spiritual gift of serving? Like eternity is impacted. Paul's gonna go on and say, listen, there are no unimportant roles. Everybody thinks the teacher is the important role. It's not how it works. Whatever gift you've been given is an important role. It's part of impacting eternity for other people. So I wanna leave you with just a few words here. Serving all in means that each believer in the church is serving Variety of different ways, variety of different services and activities, but we're doing it, all of us, using the spiritual gifts that we've been given to edify the church and to glorify Christ. That is our goal. You're on the tech team? Why are you on the tech team? It needs to be, I'm serving on the tech team because I want to glorify Christ. I'm on hospitality team because I want to glorify Christ. I'm watching babies in the nursery because I want to glorify Christ. I want to make much of him. And so I want to leave you with a couple of questions here to think about. Before we get to spiritual gifts, are you aware of how the Holy Spirit's working in your life right now? Like right now? How is the Holy Spirit working in your life right now? You mean today? Yeah. You mean right now in the service? Yes. The Holy Spirit of God is working in you if you are in Christ. I refuse to believe that the Holy Spirit of God does nothing just enjoys hanging out with you and kind of watching you float through life. No, the Holy Spirit of God is always working in you, bringing sin to the surface, calling you to repentance, reminding you of the grace and the goodness of the gospel, reminding of who you are in Christ, reminding you that you've been sealed, reminding you that you've been gifted. The Holy Spirit is is doing these things all the time. Are you aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing right now? Maybe there's a sin that you haven't dealt with. Maybe there's some hurt or pain from the past 
And the whole, every time the Holy Spirit brings it up, you just shove it back down. Like, no, I'm not yet. You're just putting it off. Maybe there's a broken relationship right now. Like the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you know this relationship's broken. What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life right now? And then the follow-up to that is, how can you participate in that? Now, follow that up with, are you aware of how the Holy Spirit has gifted you to serve in the church? And if you don't know, don't feel guilty about that. I'm asking because evidently it was an issue in the first century. They were uninformed, okay? But are you aware of how you specifically have been gifted to serve in the church? And then what do you do if you don't, if you don't know that? So I give you two steps. First of all, uh, there's a very simple tool, um, a spiritual gift assessment. You could get these online. We have one on our website. Um, the one on our website it, it at least has some biblical teaching on spiritual gifts. If you just go out randomly in the internet world and grab something, you may get something kind of off. So grab that spiritual gift assessment and begin filling it out. And what's going to happen at the end of that assessment, it's going to spit out like three things that um, essentially you have assessed about yourself that you may be good at. Okay, three things. That's step one. Step two is now set up a time to go speak with a spiritual leader, a pastor, an elder, a community group leader or a spiritual mentor in your life. Sit down with them, say, hey, I wanna have you speak into this conversation. I took an assessment, here's what came out. More than likely that conversation is gonna go like this. There's three things there and they're gonna go, mm, I can see that, yeah. And then they're gonna look at the next one, they're gonna go, really? <laughs> like, I know you wanna be good at that, but I don't see any evidence of that gift in your life. And, and that's why we don't just take an assessment, right? And then but here's also what may happen, and this happened in my life. They're gonna look at you and they're gonna say, there's something I see in you that's not even on your list over here. And what they're gonna say is, you know what? I see something in you I don't think you see in yourself. Paul, writing to Timothy, talks about Timothy's spiritual gifts. He's told him not to neglect the spiritual gifts that he received when the elders, the spiritual leaders laid hands on him and prayed on him. And Paul's gonna encourage Timothy to fan that gift into flame. I think it's a really good illustration. So our spiritual gifts oftentimes are like little bitty flames or like little embers. You ever built a campfire? You got a little ember? You have to fan it into flame. You gotta cultivate it, nourish it, intentionally build it so that it would become something, right, that's useful. And Paul describes our spiritual gifts that way. And so there's a potential, there's a spiritual gift in your life that you don't see. It's a lot like a little ember. And so as you step into conversation with a spiritual leader, what they can do is they can help fan that into flame. I'll never forget, driving around the loop of, at Austin before the new loop exists, it's like 105 miles an hour, the old one, and was riding with my pastor, he's 18 years old, he's like having life conversation, he's like, hey, have you ever had a thought about being a pastor one day? No. He saw a gifting in me and he began to fan it into flame. So two steps, spiritual gift assessment, Step two, speak with a spiritual leader. If you're gonna skip one of those steps, skip step one, okay? I don't wanna make light of the assessment because I think it'd be helpful to get the conversation started, but that's not the end all be all. Like I really wanna encourage you to, to have a conversation with a spiritual leader, somebody who's mature in Christ, who understands the scriptures, who can help you understand how God has gifted you to serve. So I wanna leave you with that. Um, Next week, we're gonna come back and pick up this conversation and talk more about the, the reason why we've been giving gifts and how it works to grow the church. Um, but I wanna leave you with that today. We're gonna pray together. Um, if you're here today and you've never come to the place in your life, like I don't know this about you, you, you have to think about yourself. 
where you have said, Jesus is my Lord. If you've never come to the place in your life, you said that, yeah, I believe Jesus is my Lord. He died on the cross for my sins. He, he's risen from the grave and I'm placing all my trust in him. If you've never come to that place, listen, that's where this all starts. This is the beginning of the Holy Spirit working in you. And so if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm gonna ask that you would come grab a pastor or an elder um, after the service and let us talk more with you about becoming a Christian today. I'm gonna pray for the rest of us that we would take God's word that as he, we've, we said earlier, I don't wanna miss a word that you speak, right? We read his word, God has spoken. So now ours is to respond in whatever way he's spoken to you today. So let's pray to that end as the worship team comes up. Um, Father, we thank you for not leaving us in our ignorance, God, not leaving us uninformed. Um, I thank you for this very helpful teaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Father, we read the scriptures and we get a beautiful picture of how you've designed the church to operate. And yet we know that there are still places at Solid Rock Church where we, we don't look like that. There are still places in our church, Father, where people are operating outside of their gifting or serving in more areas than they're called to serve in. And God, there are others of us who are still on the sidelines. We're sitting in the stands. We're cheering on the all-stars. And we think that that's our part. And yet today you've shown us, God, that you have called and gifted every believer to serve in some capacity in the church. And so, Father, there's a good chance all across this room, there are a lot of question marks right now. And so, Father, the same way that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, we pray for the church of Solid Rock, that you would provide the knowledge. You would provide the understanding. You would open our eyes to see. Father, you would speak to us. And, Father, we do pray for any person here who doesn't know you, God, that today would be the day of salvation the day of making this amazing proclamation that Jesus is Lord. And whoever that person is right now, we join our hearts together to pray for them, whether they're in this room, they're listening at home, that as your Holy Spirit stirs in them and draws them to you, Father, that they would respond by believing, believing the gospel. They could be saved and forgiven and sealed and redeemed and renewed and all these amazing things that happen when we trust in your son, Jesus. So Father, we pray all of this in his powerful name.